You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning. Thanks for tuning in. It is Tuesday the 9th of November. I'm back here in the comfort of TW11, but so sunny is it on this beautiful autumn morning. I may as well still be in Del Mar and there's plenty upon which to reflect still from that beautiful fixture at the weekend. Tom and Rishi covered it so well yesterday with that excellent interview with Charlie Appleby. But the California Horse Racing Board have issued a statement today, which I'm not sure whether it clarifies the situation as regards the um, withdrawal and reinstatement of modern games. You can draw your own conclusions, but we'll talk about that in a few moments' time. Nick's Go is now the number one horse in the world on Thoroughbred Racing Commentary Rankings, released by the computer this morning. Obviously, James will be along on Friday to discuss that. Uh, Life is good, as the boys told you yesterday. We'll take on Nick's Go in the Pegasus. Uh, But looking ahead, we look ahead to the weekend here in the UK, because the jump racing is now ratcheted up another gear, or several gears. The Paddy Power meeting looks an absolute cracker. In a few moments' time, I'll be talking to Dan Skelton, who, as ever gives so much about all his big guns running this weekend and indeed his trainers' championship aspirations or otherwise. First of all, I welcome in senior writer from the Racing Post, Lee Mottishead. More on the Breeders' Cup shortly, Lee, but first of all, let's look forward, as we like to do on this podcast, to what promised to be three excellent days at the home of steeplechasing in the UK. Yeah, I think it looks fabulous, Nick. There are always points at which we say the jump season really gets going and I think from one season to the next, those, those points increase in number. Um, but I think say, a lot of people would say that when we get to this November meeting at Cheltenham, because all the good flats or most of the good flat stuff is done, it really does uh, fire the gun on the jump season. And we've got some super racing over, over three days. As you'd expect, you've got those high quality handicaps built around the race that the, that the meeting is framed around, the, the Paddy Power Gold Cup, which looks uh, perhaps not the, the highest quality edition we've ever seen but it looks tremendously competitive lots of fascinating novices uh running over the three days and some really high class individuals too non not more so than in the in the schlur chase on on sunday when we really could get um a, a spectacular lineup of, of, of two mile chases with the most recent two winners of the champion chase put the kettle on and politolog uh sky pirate the grand annual winner from last season and of course also maybe could or should have won the champion chase, granted a bit more luck, Nube Negra. It's going to be a great three days. Nube Negra is trained by Dan Skelton, who also trains the favourite for the Paddy Power Gold Cup, also trains my Drogo third time. Lucky he arguably has the strongest hand of any trainer going into this uh, three-day meeting, and I caught up with him just a few moments ago to ask him how he was feeling ahead of the season's first major staging post. Really excited, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, it feels like... You're trying to do your best to make these horses and have these horses for these days. And, you know, you've got some now and it's just really exciting to be able to run them. Um, now, third time lucky. I'm gathering he he now is going to have his own he's going to have his own feed on your on your Twitter page this week. Yeah, well, I'm not a massive fan of social media and, and it's prob- the problems it creates. I think sometimes for a professional, the problems it creates for you mentally um as well as sort of professionally i i think it can do you more 
bad than good sometimes. Um, so I don't have any of the social media apps on my phone, but I wanted to, I, you know, it's important to to engage with the public. You know, the, the, the actual fans, they want to know, they genuinely want to know about the horses. And, you know, we've got some nice ones here that we would love to tell people about. The punters, you know, they literally pay into the sport. And I think that, you know, the genuine ones and the ones that want to know and the ones that are interested, I think it's a really worthwhile exercise. You, you can't let the minority spoil it for the majority. So we're going to give this little series a go. Um, it got some good, you know, got a, a good reaction first time yesterday. And basically what it's going to be is following a horse from Monday to Sunday. Um, so we'll tell you what they're doing each day, little videos. Um, and you'll also see the day after as well. Um, so people can get to understand what it's actually like for a horse and for the trainer and for the... Um, you know, for the staff that's looking after that horse or the, the rider that rides it every day, what they're thinking, what they're feeling, how it actually is, rather than just see this horse turn up on the day um, and then, you know, wait for it to appear next time. So hopefully it'll give a bit of insight into what actually goes on in the yard. What's Third Time Lucky going to be telling his followers this week? Uh, watch me go. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was devastating at the October meeting. Uh, do you think you sort of found the key to him now? Is it just to, just try and harness that exuberance and let him do his thing? Yeah. Um, he, when a horse is, you know, has got as much exuberance as him and the jump is jumping is what it is, the thing is over hurdles is that average jumpers with lots of speed can keep up with good jumpers and they're always sort of snapping at their heels and pushing them forward and asking the chasing types to go half a mile an hour faster than they're really happy whereas over fences with a horse like him the race slows down a little and you're always in control um and that's why chasers are chasers and hurdlers are hurdlers um i think that we've been waiting to do this for a long time we're eventually here and Hopefully the first time wasn't a fluke. I don't think it will be. Um, I've absolutely no, you know, I, I'm pretty sure it won't be, to be honest with you. I think he's very exciting. There aren't many chasers who can get from one side of a fence to the other quicker than Newbie Negra, who you've got in the in the Schler chase. Is he going to run? I think he will, yeah. I've got to talk to Terry, who owns him. Um, and we've got to keep a very close eye on the ground. The ground is vitally important to him. Um, if it's good to soft, I feel that we are taking... Um, you know, we're taking him there at his best and, and the ground can let him do his best. When you start getting into soft ground, the others can just handle it better than him. That doesn't mean that he's ultimately not as good a horse as the horses that can go on soft. It means that they are better suited to it. Um, so you get optimum conditions, your horse can run so much better. Look at So Royal. You know, he's absolutely devastating on that really good ground. Nothing can get near him. You run him on soft, totally different matter. And you've got, you know, a lot of sort of followers and punters believe that ground is irrelevant and it's just what's underneath their feet. I can tell you now, it certainly is not. And, um, you know, they're a good couple of examples of, of the ones that are really effective on good ground. And, of course, the headline horse, I suppose, this weekend uh, is Protector Act because that, that is the race of the weekend, the Paddy Power. Are we just looking at a championship horse against handicappers or not? Could be. You could be. I mean, you know, Shan Blue improved a lot from his novice novice um, sort of campaign into his professional, you know, into his grown-up campaign this year. Unfortunately, he fell, so didn't get to see him at the line. But um, those novices, they can just find a chunk of improvement second season over fences. Um, I've no reason to think he won't. But you're asking a lot in a paddy power. You know, it's the most one of the most competitive handicaps of the year. 
can he give away chunks of weight to horses that you know have got loads of experience, been there, done it, dance the dance? But time will tell. But you know, Ruby always used to say to me, "It's nice to have a Grade One horse in a handicap, and he's a Grade One winner." So you know, you've got to go there full of full of optimism, and and you know, I've got him as well as I can have him. It won't be telling you he's blowing up. I won't be telling you he needs to run and all that type of jazz. You know, he's there. He's ready. He'll do his best. All right, so here's, here's a question to give it some sort of relativity. He's got to give £10 to your own spirit of the games. You probably think he's a £10 better horse than spirit of the games, don't you? Yeah, being, being honest, yeah. Um, and that's taking nothing away from spirit. You know, spirit's a consistent horse. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think he's won for three years, not through any fault of his own, but he just hasn't won for, he just hasn't won for three years. Just hasn't won for three years. So what can you, you, you know... Yeah, I think he's a £10 better horse than him, yeah. All right, let's talk about my Drogo because he wowed everybody at Aintree last year. Um, how good has he been jumping fences at home? He's been good. Yeah, he has. I've been very happy with him. He has gotten better and better. He started well, don't get me wrong. I wasn't like, oh, God, that wasn't very good. He did. He started well, but he's got better. Um, as horses, as the novice chases go through their pre-season their jumping becomes a little more assured they're not like you know the first time up there a little bit okay we jump and we land and we go and do it again and you know after about six or seven schooling sessions they start to get smooth um and he's at that point now he's nice and smooth he worked brilliantly this morning and he's ready to get started i'm not afraid to go to cheltenham with him i wasn't afraid to go to cheltenham first time with third time lucky um so yeah, just looking forward to it. To be honest with you, uh, now you're you going to pull up, pull a complete rabbit out of the hat with this West Cork in the Great Wood Hurdle on Sunday. Hasn't run since the 22nd of February 2020, and comes in here off a mark of 134. I mean, it's it's not as though he's hiding because he's pretty short price already. Yeah, I think he opened at something like 25 to one, and that was you know that was obviously too big a price for him. I haven't backed him. His owner hasn't backed him, um, but he. One thing he is, is he, on his form, he was, you know, second in a grade two novice hurdle. On his form, he is nicely handicapped. We haven't seen him for a long time. We've done loads and loads of work with him. I don't think fitness will be an issue. He's got a pretty honest way of going about things. I think a fast run two miles will really suit him. Don't see any real concerns about the track. It's just the sort of lack of recent everything to go on you know you've not got recent form to go on you've not got a run at all to go on you don't know how he handles lots of runners you know there's a lot of unknowns in there but he is well handicapped he has to be based on his old form so you know that that brings him into the equation you're taking on graded horses like Adagio and you know the Nicky's Nicky's favorite you know his looks progressive and there's going to be a heap of others outside of them too um that you know, are going to be highly, highly competitive. So, yeah, he's got definitely got a chance. And if he can belie the layoff, which I I can't tell you whether he will or he won't, because that's not that's not a question you can answer from homework. Um, if he can belie that recent lack of everything, then he will go very, very close because he is a good horse off a good mark. All right, not the, not the last time this question is going to be asked this season. Don't don't yawn already. But if they all if they all do their stuff on uh, on the weekend, you're you're pretty pretty near the top of the trainers championship. How much is that um, exercising everybody? Uh, so, yeah, I saw like there's an article in in the Racing Post saying title chasing skeleton. Well, I was chasing the title before I ever had my first runner, really, because I've <laughs> I've always wanted to do it. I don't actually feel like 
this year is a. I, I genuinely believe that Paul's got the ace hand massively. I think he's got the ace hand. Um, it, you know, I'd love to be a, a. I'd love to be a challenger, but I think realistically, hand on heart, so much has to go in our favour. And realistically, when you, you know, things have to go against him, and they won't because they're too professional and outfit. So I realistically this year don't think it's a thing. I, I hope I hope we finish second, and that that will just show a bit of you know a bit of consistency. We were second last year, um, but this time next year it could be a different conversation. But I'm not I'm certainly not hung up on trainers championships this year because I I, I honestly hand on heart and you know me I'd tell you if I thought it was a chance, and I'd be I'd be aiming for it. But I, I honestly don't think it's a, a thing this year. Uh, Dan Skelton there. Uh, you always get a little bit more than you ask for from from Dan Lee, which for people like you and me is a bit of a gift. Yeah, he's a marvellous interviewee. You know, some interviewees uh, inevitably go through the motions, but Dan really engages with it and he, he gives you more than you would necessarily expect. And he's done that on, on, a, on a number of points in that in that interview there, Nick. What he's what he's doing with this with his weekly series uh, shining a spotlight um, on a horse is extremely impressive. It's definitely to be welcomed. Um, and I'm sure as well, there'll be probably quite a bit of success for Dan this weekend, maybe with third time Lucky, who certainly looked um, a star two mile novice at Cheltenham last time. But some of those horses he was rattling through there, um, I think particularly my Drogo, who's due to make his debut offences on Friday as well. Um, they're going to create enormous excitement. And I thought the the way he discussed his championship credentials and chances um, this season w- was really interesting, Nick. I think the, the great thing about when you listen to Dan Skelton talking is that you know Dan Skelton is saying what Dan Skelton really feels. He doesn't really sugarcoat things. He doesn't try and pretend something that 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 he doesn't believe. Um, and, and that makes him, um, as I say, an enormously engaging interviewee. And it's a, a big three days coming up for, for Dan and for Harry Skelton. Looking back, Lee, to the Breeders' Cup, Tom and Rishi covered this extensively yesterday and that lovely interview with Charlie Appleby. If you haven't listened to it, do go back and, uh, and hear that. There's been an update from the California Horse Racing Board on the modern games situation. A, not so much a, a U-turn as a sort of fork in the road yeah, I th- yeah, I, th- I think it's that's a, that's a fair way of, of describing it. I think of all the stories, Nick, that you might have been expecting to to be covering on NBC uh, late on Friday, th- this certainly wouldn't have been been one of them. As we all know, Modern Games uh, was scratched before the Juvenile Turf, then he was unscratched, and then he won the Juvenile Turf to much booing because although he ran in the race, he was taken out of out of the betting pool so punters who'd backed modern games on the track to win that race only got their money back they got no winnings which didn't go down very well and um, the re- the retraction if you like the correction today um came from the california horse racing board um who have stated that in c- contrary to what was previously um reported the the horse did not um rear up in the stalls before the race it was said um on the track at the time that the horse had reared and that there was visual evidence of the horse doing it which was a reason why the veterinarians on the track um had informed the stewards that the horse should be taken out of the race 
On Monday afternoon, the CHRB put out a statement that said, concerning the 10th race at Del Mar on Friday, the British Cup Juvenile Turf, upon review of available video showing the horses in the gate prior to the start of the race, the CHRB has determined that number one modern games did not rear up in the gate, as was initially reported to the CHRB by the veterinarians at the gate. The starter and assistant starter took protective steps by leading the horse out of the front of the gate. The horse did not break through the gate on its own, as was originally thought. Now, obviously, the question that arises from this is why did those veterinarians at the gate report having seen something to the stewards that did not happen? Um, and they clearly have huge questions to answer because unless they um they had some sort of um some sort of vision at the start of something that wasn't actually happening it's hard to see um how this played out and clearly the consequences for the race and punters in america were were very considerable indeed so yes. this one is going to run and run the breeders cup marathon doesn't exist anymore as a race but it does <laughs> in the form of this year's juvenile turf it was utterly surreal as charlie appleby said to me good job you caught me said i was about to get into a taxi and go home and you asked me if the booing really was loud well it's it's the loudest booing i've heard on a racetrack since the governor of kentucky got booed a couple of years ago put it that way <laughs> To some extent, Nick, it's slightly reassuring as well for those of us over here. There was also a story I saw overnight in Australia of a horse, of a trainer um, selling the wrong horse to the races. You know, we, we, see, we, we get a few cock-ups over here, don't we? And we just berate ourselves as if we're the only people that do it. Mm. And clearly it's not just British racing um, that get things wrong now and again. Actually reassuring. I don't think we've got anything quite as badly wrong as this and I say at the heart of this is a, what, what would appear to be falsehoods um reported at the time and that that really does shine a light on a few people well um in glorious contrast to racing's uh, perpetual snafu is nick's goes performance in the breeze cup classic he's now number one in a thoroughbred racing commentary global rankings more from james on that on friday of course but it was a, a sparkling performance. I went back and watched it again last night, Lee. I just, I sort of hadn't taken stock of just how impressive he was. I think in the third or fourth fastest dirt time in the Breeders' Cup Classic. Yeah, he was hugely impressive. Um, it clearly, it was a, it looked a, a fascinating race anyway going into it, um, Nick. It was a, for those of us who were watching it from over here, it was a, it was a race well worth staying up until twelve forty, um, in the morning for, and it, it was a dazzling. Um, it was a dazzling display. It was a performance um, that I think was well worthy of the figure we gave. I think we gave it 130 um, racing post rating, which is which is very high indeed. But it it, it merited it. Um, it was a, a performance. So I think of uh, in, in, that came in a week where there were a number of horses I thought who who really um, excelled themselves. I thought there were some tremendous displays across. America and Australia, you know, I thought in, in, in their carnival, which to an extent got overshadowed over here because it was, it was Breeders' Cup week. And this year, the Breeders' Cup came after the Melbourne Cup. We saw some really great performances from horses, uh, particularly like Very Elegant, who I thought was fantastic in the, in the Melbourne Cup and produced a really high group one rating. Horses like Nature Strip, um, Home Affairs, the new star sprinter in australia so i think it was it was a very solid week um for flat racing nick and, and i was looking forward 
it was sorry and and zaki yeah dear old zaki who um bounced back and no help to those of us who had five to two um for the cox plate nick but it was still a a really excellent performance from him and i i should be greatly looking forward to seeing what what james um says about them on friday in his weekly review because there's so much meat for him to get into there is and we've also got the cartier awards coming up tomorrow night here in the uk which decides the uh, horse of the year here uh, it's a four-way go between Torquato Tassa, the ARC winner, Baid, the unbeaten Queen Elizabeth II winner, Mishrif, the Judmont International winner, and, uh, of course, St. Mark's Basilica, winner of two French classics, the Eclipse and the Irish Champion Stakes. Very quickly, Lee, where would your vote be going? Very quickly, very difficult. I think there's no standout horse this season. My vote would go to St. Mark's Basilica um, because I just think his unbeaten record, his performances at Sandown and York in, and sorry, Leopardstown in particular, were enormously impressive. So I would marginally go for him, Nick. Yep, I would agree. I would think just give him the vote over Baid. Frankel's stud fee is £200,000 next year. Now, his efforts were slightly eclipsed by Dubawi's brilliant Breeders' Cup treble, but Frankel has been the sire of the season. I think they're quite conservative at two hundred grand. I know it's a sort of not a very democratic thing to say possibly well no um i, I suspect you're probably right I, I would say on this one this is this is not my uh area of expertise um sad uh, standing fees and you look at two hundred thousand pounds and you think ye gods um but i also noted um julian dollar of newsels park stud um saying the same thing uh, that you just said that actually this horse could have gone up a lot more giving his astonishing season season when he's had horses like Adiyar um and hurricane lane and and many others um and i suppose to an extent the sort of people that are using um frankel as a standing the the 25 grand rise isn't going to impact on on their decision making process but i suspect this will just keep the horse at a what what is seen to be a realistic price for um what he's achieved and i think it also this is also an, another chance to 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 highlight how well judmont as an organization is doing obviously when prince Khalid abdullah died immediately there are questions of what's going to happen to that operation in the future but the reality is that thanks to frankel and thanks to kingman as well who also be standing for a huge sub 150,000 pounds they are an extremely commercially successful um, operation and that certainly is not going to change um, next year with Frankel and Kingman still standing at stud. And on a bloodstock point, there's a, an interesting court case. You do get one or two of these pop up every so, every so often. Interesting court case between Tattersalls, the sales house, and Tom George, the well-known jumps trainer, surrounding a horse that George bought out of Andrew Balding's yard called Lariat, who George then subsequently found to have had a, a breathing uh, issue. And there, there is a dispute over whether George should pay for the horse or whether he was entitled to chuck the horse back. That's right. Yeah. So uh, this happened or the, the horse was bought at the horses in training sale two years ago now in, in 2019. Bloodstock agent Alex Elliott actually signed this horse Lariat, who ran in the colours for a uh, run in the colours of Mick and Janice Mariscotti when trained by by Andrew Balding. Um, it's fascinating this, Nick, because um, to, to, to just sum it up in general, Tom George has had the horse tested um, for his wind um and the tests that he had done pretty much showed that this horse um wasn't fit for national hunt racing and had significant 
breathing problems. The Tattersalls procedure um, after the, the original owners of the horse refused to take the horse back um, was to gallop the horse um, at Warren Hill. This took place a few days after the sale or the rejected um, the rejection of the horse by, by Tom George. Um, and on the, the test that the Tattersalls vet had to, to look at on that occasion, Lariat passed um, those tests. Um, and it does just raise that question of, clearly you have caveat emptor um, with, 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 with a lot of sales and, and bloodstock sales in particular. Um, but it does raise that question of if you buy a horse from a sale and it becomes immediately obvious that that horse has a major issue, should you be required to go through with the purchase of that horse? There are, there are, there are still two more days to go. Um, we note as well that Lariat actually runs uh, tomorrow because subsequent <laughs> to subsequent to Tom George rejecting the horse, the horse was then sold um, by Tats for 32,000 guineas uh, and now runs for Adrian McGuinness. He's had 21 starts for Adrian McGuinness um, since that uh, unfortunate episode. And he hasn't actually won a race in that time. And he has regressed significantly on the figures. I don't know if that will be a factor in uh, discussions in court over the next two days but it's certainly a court case this i think that, that is, is, is really interesting to monitor and its outcome i think will be watched very closely not just by taps and by goss and all sales houses but also um the people that buy and sell horses in the ring because one would imagine this would set some sort of precedent well, there's so much going on in the last month with the ARC and Champions Day and the Breeders' Cup. We've needed to catch up with the success or otherwise of uh, National Racehorse Week, which you'll remember took place in September. Rod Street is the chief executive of Great British Racing and, and British Champion Series. Uh, GBR work was instrumental in, in coordinating this event uh, and is with me now. Uh, Rod, we, we've managed to let the dust settle and, and figure out what went on, what the sort of reach was, how it went. What's the, what's the update? We're really delighted, Nick. It was a very successful week and so, so encouraging when an idea, Richard Phillips' brilliant idea, could be brought to life and so universally supported by the racing industry. And this industry is very good sometimes at uh, falling out internally. But here was an example of all of the participants and constituents really getting behind something. And I, I think that demonstrates the passion that underpins the you know the love of the the racehorse and the desire to show people how well cared for racehorses are and it would be really difficult for me now and inappropriate to name check all of the people that got behind it such was the breadth of the support we had but it just genuinely felt like an industry effort um and it was successful and as you, you you've seen from some of the numbers we've shared with you we've we've really I think, cut through to the public and got some brilliant engagement in the subject of equine welfare. I mean, the, the most striking number for me was that the training centres saw a 70% increase in visitors, or particularly in Newmarket, on, on 2019. That's pretty staggering. Yeah, we're delighted with that. The, the, the Morton and Epsom open days and Newmarket open day were the, book, the bookend events of the, the week itself. So it was important that they succeeded and it was wonderful that every single one of the open days recorded record numbers with attendance throughout the you know the 132 yards open in total 
um, excellent. And, and as we, we shared in the report, which is uh, publicly available, we've shared it online, anyone can look at it. We want to share the good news. We had um, 11,000 bookings ahead of the week starting. And you know, such was the public interest in the, um, the open day and getting involved. And, and thankfully, because we effectively sold out before the event started, we had a lot of virtual activity online and we were re re um, producing videos and, and releasing them on a daily basis. So people who couldn't get to an event physically could still get behind the scenes. And as you can see, the, the videos reached um, numbers, you know, in the millions, um, which was important. So we, we found ways of, of getting more people involved. I think the thing to look at now is how we build on that in year two and involve more of the public um, and involve more constituents because I think there's much more room for improvement here. What, okay, what can you do? What, what, what could be better? Well, one of the things is we learned that um, such was the take up and interest in the, the open days that we actually, in, in the main week we were starting to promote National Racehorse Week, we had no capacity left. So we need to get more yards involved and to open them up. We need to increase the capacities at some of the yards. And, and again, we were cautious in year one, quite sensibly, to see you know, how many people actually turned up. But, but the numbers were actually pretty consistent and high. And I think there's an opportunity to get race courses involved and maybe get retired race horses uh, on the courses because they themselves have really, really big capacities. Um, and studs and other racing operations. So I think this is just about opening the doors and getting more people through them during that week because there's clearly an appetite to do it. And I think the other really big learn is, is that such is our passionate core following that you know a good 75% of the capacity was taken up by existing racing fans, which is wonderful because they are our best advocates. But we got you know circa 25% of the people who came identified themselves as non-racing fans or occasional fans. We need to to get that number bigger because one of the real purposes of this is persuading the public how well horses are cared for. So there's, there's lots we can do, but we've certainly built a really good platform and I can't imagine um, not getting the same amount of support next year. I, I think people feel that they've been involved in something successful. So it's Tuesday and that means it's time again for the Weatherby's Bloodstock segment. They're just finalising the entries for the number one global stallion guide, the Weatherby's Stallion Book, which goes to print actually later this week. And one farm which has been a long-standing supporter of the Weatherby's Stallion Book is Gestud Etzean. And it's my huge pleasure this morning to be joined by Ralph Cradle from The Stud This Morning. And Ralph is the general manager at Gestud Etzean. Ralph, good morning. Thanks so much for talking to me. Just first of all, tell me a little about the, the stud, where you are and a, a little about the history. Yeah, Etzean was founded in 1969 by Mr. Heinz Weil. Uh, he started off with three mares. Um, he was looking for a stud farm for a while. He had racehorses before. And he picked out uh, the spot here uh, 50 miles south of Frankfurt uh, because there is usually plenty of rain during the year. It's always green. Uh, it's not the soil holds the humidity quite well. And uh, there's a lot of forest around, so we have plenty of fresh air, uh, no industry close by, and uh, it's 450 meters above sea level. And I, I, I read uh, from a, an article that you, you contributed to 
a few years ago that you, you have a, a slightly different method of allowing the horses to sort of coexist with, with one another. Just tell me a bit more about that. Yeah, we, we have uh, since, uh, I think, 1992, we used to have the stallion together with one mare or one partner per year. So he's living, they're stabled next to each other during the night and they're going out in the field during the day. Uh, we introduce the mare to the stallion when she is uh, in season and let them cover. And then she stays with him until close to birth or uh, around that time next year. It's a thoroughbred mare uh, owned by the stud, uh, which has no foal in that season where we introduce her to the stallion. So what, what's the thinking behind that? It's quite unusual. Yeah, it's very unusual, uh, I know, uh, but uh, th- th- in the first place we have done it because we couldn't get a, a mare in foal, but that's about 25, 30 years ago, before ultrasound and stuff like that. So the vet from the university suggested it's the end of the breeding season, you just put her out with a stallion. And that's what Mr. Weil and my dad were keen to do. So they did that and they saw that they lived together very happily until the end of the season and the mare was in fall, so everything has worked out well. Uh, then we got Dashing Blade here and he was a kind of a bit of a shy horse, a uh, bit nervous. And uh, yeah, we had him out with the mare and uh, he got him so more relaxed and more happy and we saw that it's working very good. So we have done it with all the stud owned stallions in the past, I think that are around five or six from the time we, we began and we never needed a veterinary for the stallion there was no no problem with that so so even if the stallion has to cover you know several mares a day or or a hundred mares in a season this this one mare will always accompany that stallion everywhere he goes exactly not 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 when the stallion goes to the covering shed but the mare is out with the stallion for one season. So we have that mare, and once she gets her foal, we are looking for another mare to give to the stallion for the next season. The only tricky point is when you start with the young stallion, it's no problem at all. The only tricky point is when the mare teases off and says, okay, I don't want to be covered anymore. That's for one or two days, and then the stallion understood, and that's it. And you mentioned Dashing Blade, and it was a good job that that, that you, you know, this worked the trick because he he made a huge impact for you. Just tell me about his importance to the stud. Yeah, we we were a small stud, uh, not known uh, not known everywhere in Germany probably, and everybody was laughing a bit at the beginnings because somebody new came into it, never has bred horses before, and so uh, when Dashing Blade came around. Uh, people noticed more because he was a champion two-year-old in Ireland and I think never before there was a group one winning two-year-old coming to Germany. Um, the owner of the stud at that time he had to sell uh, a house in Frankfurt or a little bit more to buy the stallion so we were very lucky to get him uh, and he uh, really put us on the international map. I mean he was a champion sire, he was a champion two-year-old sire a couple of times he was an outstanding looking horse and he produced uh, international group one winners uh, like Fabergé, Proudwings, uh, yeah, very, and he was a very good brute messiah too. He, he really started uh, a legacy here in Germany. If, if you look at it a little bit now from a while ago, uh, we later on had his son, Lord of England here. He was a group one winner in Germany from a Fairhof uh, female family. 
he was raised on a stud and he was a very successful sire too. He sired um, Palmas, uh, our 2021 Oaks winner. And he also is the grandsire of the 2021 Derby winner. And uh, if you look at it last weekend, Ebeer, uh, who won the Breeders' Cup, or one of the Breeders' Cup races, um, he is out of the second damage by Dashing Blade, which was bred here on the farm. So tell me a little bit about the, the stallions that you're, you're currently standing. Um, sadly, we have lost at the beginning a lot of England, uh, son of Dashing Blade, uh, this season. So this was a bit, yeah. He was 18 only and he, he had a really good season at the track. So we were hoping to have him around for another two or three years. But this was not this was a big loss to the German um, breeding industry as well. Not not only to us, but he had a heart failure and he saved. So, so now we have a son of uh, Shamadal here called Amaron. He, he was a very tough and consistent horse in Germany, trained in Germany. Uh, raced in England and uh, he won group races from two to six in each of his years, uh, being a group one winner and uh, champion Myla in Germany a couple of times. He has started very well uh, with a group placed horse in his first uh, season in France and a listed winner in uh, England. And he has plenty of winners of sales races here in Germany. I think he's currently the third Stallion uh, standing in Germany uh, for prize money in the statistics, and yeah, he's a tough, consistent horse, uh, a miler because we had a couple of stairs before, so we thought we get a bit more speed, a bit of more sharpness into them, and yeah, that's one of them. Another stallion we are standing here is Arion, but his career is uh, due to old age going to an end at some stage as well. He covered uh, 30 mares this year. He was champion stallion in Germany four times. He's uh, by Big Shuffle. Uh, Big Shuffle was another uh, valuable import from Ireland at the time, doing very well with the German uh, female families. Uh, he's a stallion which is known, not owned by the start, Arion. He came to us four seasons ago. And yeah, we, we use him for our own mares and to a couple of outside mares, obviously as well. But he's he's getting old now, so we are on the yeah on the ball to find a new stallion. Uh, but uh, considering the number of mares we cover here, so the the most busy stallion covered about seventy mares this year in Germany, and it's very hard to compete with the international uh, stud farms as they can cover more mares and maybe ask for more money and the covering fees. So it's tricky to get a good one, but. Uh, Hopefully, we might have some news by next week. We are in the process of closing a deal, hopefully. Thanks to Ralph and to Rod Street and earlier on in the show, of course, to Dan Skelton. Lee Mottishead is still with me and Lee has a tip for you for today. I am going to go, Nick, to Lingfield Park, the 337 there. It's a two and a half mile handicap chase. And I'm going to side with a trainer who's very much in form at the moment, Gary Moore. Uh, he's got a tremendous uh, wins to runs ratio over the last fortnight. He runs a horse called Dorking Lad in this uh, 3.37 at Lingfield. Um, initial start over fences wasn't perhaps the most inspiring, but I thought there was enough to take out of that run uh, to suggest that he'll do better on this occasion. Uh, and therefore, I'm going with Dorking Lad in the 3.37 at Lingfield. 
Lee, thank you very much. Thanks to all my guests. Thank you for listening. And before we go today, I just wanted to let you know that uppermost in our minds this morning, the friends and the family of Tom Greenway, who it was reported yesterday had died at the age of 38. He rode more than 40 winners under rules, but perhaps his most significant achievement was an extraordinary return to the saddle against the odds after breaking his neck in three places at the age of 21. Trainers Donald McCain, Peter Bowen and John Berry, all of whom knew Tom well, have paid great tribute to his character and his talent. Tom Greenway, who died aged 38. We will see you again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.